Welcome to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology. Many of our podcasts are accompanied by downloadable study guides and additional resources. You can access those either through our website at gsot.edu forward slash center or through the Grace app for your smartphone. And now, Saving Grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. In coming to faith in Jesus, what is God's part and what is our part? Does God make us believe? Do we have a choice? The answers to these questions shape our view of God, of Scripture, salvation, evangelism, assurance, and our nature as responders to God. That is why it is critical to understand answers that best align with Scripture. We're so pleased to have with us Bob Carey. He's author of the book, How Does God Draw People to Believe in Jesus? A Biblical Analysis of Alternative Answers and Why It Matters. Bob is the senior pastor at Moon Valley Bible Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome to Saving Grace, Bob. Uh, Thank you so much, Carmen. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor to be invited. Oh, so glad to have you. This is such an important topic, uh, not one that uh, we hear often or if at all from our pulpits and our churches, uh, but one that I think we often think about, uh, Bob. And so uh, to be able to kind of delve in a little bit and answer some questions that, that we've wondered about for years. You know, the idea that God draws people to believe That does go uncontested, it seems, among theologians. Everyone agrees, yes, yes, he does. But the issue at hand seems to be that idea of which comes first. Is it our faith, and then we are regenerated, or are we regenerated, and then we believe? Uh, So I think it will be helpful just to start out. Give us kind of a working definition, if you will, of those two words, faith and regeneration. Good, okay. I like to use the definition of faith offered by uh, Charlie Bing. Uh, He says, uh, saving faith is defined as trust or confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin. He describes it as a personal acceptance of the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross for the sinner. And uh, when one believes, um, he takes God or she takes God at his word and, and personally appropriates the provision of Christ's free gift of salvation for himself or yes, herself. Yes. Uh, so that's faith. Uh-huh. For regeneration, I actually like to use the definition offered by a Calvinist. Oh, uh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Charles Hodge, <laughs> who uh, describes regeneration as the instantaneous change from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's uh, just being born again. Yeah. It's uh, the moment God gives new spiritual life. And, and so the regenerate are those who have been born again. The unregenerate are those who have not yet been born again. Pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. And that instantaneous is very important, right, I, right. I think, as well. Well, give us just a brief recap, if you will, of the faith after regeneration view. Okay. Uh, those who argue that faith comes after regeneration are traditionally described as having a Calvinist or Reformed point of view. And in a nutshell, the faith after regeneration 
view says, uh, because of the total depravity of humankind, God must regenerate a person first in order for that person to believe. Moreover, having been regenerated, that person will certainly believe because faith itself is viewed as a gift from God tied to regeneration. So according to this view, uh, there is no real genuine human freedom uh, which permits a person to choose freely between two options, to accept or reject, to believe or disbelieve, because in this view, God determines a person cannot be persuaded to believe. Right. He or she must be made to believe by God. That's how God draws according to the faith after regeneration view. As though we, we're, so they, it's this, uh, we're totally depraved, but also totally unable to respond. That's right. And so God has to step in yep. and do it all. Do it all. And do it all. Interesting. So I'm sure that there have to be scripture references that they use to back it up. Are there just a couple uh, that you could share that would, would help us to understand their viewpoint? Sure. Uh, a primary argument of the, the Calvinistic faith after regeneration view is that uh, uh, the unregenerate, as you said, are totally unable to respond. It's a doctrine called total inability. Um, Ephesians 2 um, okay. verses 1 through 5, commonly cited in support of total inability. In that passage, Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And uh, faith after regeneration proponents take dead to mean totally unable to respond to God. Like a course. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think this is... Um, a misinterpretation of the term dead. I think in Ephesians 2, I take dead to mean spiritually separated from mm -hmm. God. It doesn't yes. mean totally unable to respond to God. Yes. John 15, 5, mm -hmm. another example cited, um, familiar one where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> right. Where nothing is construed by some to be supportive of total inability. Mm -hmm. Again, I think this is a misinterpretation. Yes. The context of John 15 is not about eternal salvation or one's ability to believe. Jesus is talking to his disciples who have already believed. Right. And he's talking about abiding in him as the source of power uh, to fulfill his command to love one another. And so his point is, if we don't abide in him... We are powerless to love as he loves. Mm, yes, yes. And that makes common sense to me, uh, whereas the other, the other interpretation uh, does not. That very interesting, very interesting. Well, you know, Leighton Flowers uh, has an excellent counter-argument regarding the ability of the unregenerate to respond to God's initiatives. Explain his argument. It's found in Genesis. Yeah. Well, over and over, we see in Scripture um, evidence that the unregenerate do indeed have some capacity to respond to God's initiatives. And, and Flowers presents Genesis uh, 3, 8 through 10 as just one example. Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit, and uh, God takes the initiative to yes. pursue them, even though they're trying to hide. Uh, God asks Adam, uh, where are you? 
and uh, Adam responds to God's initiative, saying, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And so Flowers asks the rhetorical question, and I'm sort of paraphrasing. He says, are we to assume that Adam's vulnerable reply was made to happen hmm. by God regenerating Adam? Or was Adam simply responding freely to the loving call of a God genuinely seeking him in his brokenness? And Flowers goes on to argue that God spells out the consequences of Adam's sin that include, you know, um, labor pains and toiling in the soil. But God doesn't say anything like, you're now morally incapable of responding willingly to my appeals for reconciliation. No, nothing yeah. like that at all. Yeah. And I think that's a powerful argument, particularly because it starts in Genesis. It starts in the Garden of Eden where the, the fall of man happened. Uh, and to just see how God lovingly drew Adam and Eve back. You know, yes, there were consequences, but he lovingly drew them back. Uh, and then provided uh, a covering for them, yeah, yeah. which is, of course, what he did for us. Beautiful. And, of course, there are other examples in the Old Testament uh, of the spirits of unregenerate being responsive to God, like Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Ahab. Uh, but do we have any examples in the New Testament that uh, just a couple of, of, of unregenerate responding to the light of the gospel? Sure, we do. Um, Romans uh, 1, verses 19 and 20 is an example. Paul says of the unregenerate, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Seems pretty clear to me in these verses that the unregenerate can and do perceive um, what God has shown them. They're not spiritual corpses. In uh, another example, Acts 10, uh, Cornelius Mm. is an example. Yes. Before he believed in Jesus, uh, before he was regenerated, he's described in Acts 10 too as a, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Seems pretty clear that Cornelius was to some extent responsive to the light of God's oh, truth no doubt. prior to his con- uh, conversion, yes. prior to his regeneration. Yes, and I'm sure there are many others, but those are two excellent examples. You know, often quoted arguments for the faith after regeneration view include Old Testament scriptures regarding the circumcision of the heart. Um, Deuteronomy 36 mentions circumcision of the heart is so that you can believe. Uh, Ezekiel 11, 19 through 21, speaks of God giving the people one heart and a new spirit. Uh, But are these talking about saving faith? Well, I think it's reasonable to assume that some of the Old Testament passage that you mentioned do indeed refer to regeneration, but conspicuous by its absence is any mention of faith in these mm. passages. Yes. And so they simply yes. don't resolve the order of faith and re- regeneration one way 
or another. Oh, right. Okay, I hear what you're saying. So it's, it's not an argument for uh, or against because faith is not the issue. Right, it, it'd be an argument from silence because faith yes. is not mm-hmm. is not mentioned in those okay. passages. So you can you can agree that yes, these these relate to regeneration. But where's the faith? Where, yeah, where's the faith? <laughs> There's no comment on that, so you can't really. They don't resolve the issue. They don't resolve it. Yeah, very interesting. Well, let's kind of switch now to to get a brief recap, if we can, of the faith before regeneration view. Okay. The faith uh, before regeneration view argues that uh, God's regeneration is conditioned on a person's prior faith. In this way of thinking, uh, people do play a role in regeneration. They must believe before God will regenerate them. Uh, Moreover, the person who comes to faith has some ability and some responsibility to believe prior to regeneration, subject to God's initiative and help. Not saying that God is not involved, that he doesn't initiate. His help is absolutely necessary, but we have some ability to respond to that help. Yes, and that that response is faith. Yes. Yes, yes. It's interesting to me that some of the passages used as proof text for the faith follows regeneration view actually support the faith before regeneration view. If you could walk us through the understanding of John 1, 12 and 13 as an example of that. Sure. In John 1, 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, the main thrust of the Calvinistic faith after regeneration argument from this passage passage is that we're uh, born again or um, uh, we are born again or regenerated not by anything that we do but by God who is the source of our regeneration. Yes, it's argued that hey, human faith is not the source of regeneration. God is. That's the argument. Right, right. I would counter by first agreeing. (laughs) Of course, we can't regenerate ourselves. Mm -hmm. God must do it. But this doesn't rule out human faith as the necessary antecedent to God's work. If I respond to God's offer by believing in Jesus, and God regenerates me as a result, that does not make me the source of my own regeneration. No, no. Drinking living water does not make me the source of the water, nor can I take any credit for never thirsting again. Right, right. I would uh, also point to some evidence in the passage which actually controverts the faith after regeneration view in John 1.12, uh, being given the right to become children of God can be taken as a result of believing in his name. Mm-hmm. And there are good reasons to believe that becoming children of God in John 1.12 is synonymous with being born of God in John 1.13. If that's the case, the passage presents faith as a necessary prior requirement Absolutely. for regeneration. So not only does John 1.12 and 13 fail to support the faith after regeneration view, 
it supports the faith before regeneration viewing yes, it does beautifully it really does hmm. another one in which you have a very interesting perspective uh, on john 3 3 through 8 which is the familiar story of nicodemus coming to jesus at night confirming christ's authority but christ responds with comments about being born again uh what what are the two differing views there yeah well, Calvinists uh, generally argue from John 3, 3 through 8, that, that human birth is a unilateral activity. The infant plays no role whatsoever in its own birth. They uh, say it's, uh, uh, they say just as natural birth does not depends, depend on an infant's will to accept the birth by faith, <laughs> neither does spiritual birth depend on a person's prior faith. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree that the birth imagery focuses on God's initiative and we can take no credit for being born, but that doesn't mean that we play no roles whatsoever. Even the physical birth imagery cannot sustain such a categorical conclusion. Interesting, uh, in a Parents Magazine article describing the birthing process, right, right. it says that the infant twists and turns to find the easiest way to find its way through the, the birth canal. Yes. This sounds like some degree of participation uh, to me. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not suggesting right. that we must somehow twist and turn to find our way to new spiritual life, yeah. only that the birth imagery doesn't preclude some human involvement. Yes, yes. I think the point of John 3, verses 3 through 8, is that no one can be religious enough or good enough mm, yes. to be a part of God's kingdom. Regeneration is required. Yes. And this is really disconcerting to Nicodemus because he's dedicated his whole life. To works. To, yeah, to being religious enough, to being yes, good enough yes. to be a part of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so understandably, he, he raises another question on his mind, and he speaks it in John 3, 9. He says, how can these things be? And these things refers to being born again in its various aspects and um, explained by Jesus in the immediately preceding context. And so, in effect, Nicodemus is asking, how can regeneration happen? Yes. How can it happen? Mm. Jesus' answer to the question, which includes John 3.16, yes, indicates yes. faith. Faith is required for regeneration. Eternal life, which includes regeneration, is received by whoever believes, whoever believes in him. And so faith comes before regeneration, not after. Mm. And I, I had never thought about this, that story from that perspective on um, just the, the order and the way it happens. Uh, but it, it very clearly lays it out. And we're all familiar with that, with that story of Nick at night, as we always uh, speak of Nicodemus. Our guest today has been Pastor Bob Carey, author of How Does God Draw People to Believe in Jesus? We only scratch the surface of this excellent book. Now, if you're a pastor, theologian, or a student of the Word, you're going to enjoy digging into the book to study the controversy of which comes first, faith or regeneration? Well, we've kept our discussion today on a level that all could understand, but if you want to go deeper, you will not be disappointed in Bob's thorough investigation. 
we encourage you to download the Grace app to give you complete access to Saving Grace podcast, Grace Cafe, event calendar, Bible study guides, and much more. You can get that link and also learn more about Grace School of Theology and Grace Center for Spiritual Development at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. We're so glad you joined us today. Remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost.